I'm Andrew Junker with Roman Honeycutt. Hi. And this is why we do this. Episode 17 of Why We Do This. Today we're talking to Winnie Wong, who is currently a producer at uh, Pandora. And we met her when she was a freelance kind of shooter, producer, filmmaker, jack of all trades. And uh, yeah, this was an awesome conversation that we had. And so, you know, going into the conversation, I think the thing that was interest I was most interested in was just hearing her take on the differences that she's seen between being in sort of more freelance world versus being in a, you know, in a ter- in internal production, you know, team in a company. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what she saw as any differences or similarities or just kind of what that world is like. Because it's definitely like from our side, I mean, we work with all sorts of different companies, but we're still kind of approaching it as a production company, we have a way of doing things. And so it's just interesting to kind of learn about those worlds. I think the thing that really stood out to me in this conversation is how much it sort of, uh, like, I don't want to say doesn't matter, but it's just sort of like the, the underlying factor is still that you have to be doing this because you love and care about it. Yeah. And, and so it was interesting just to hear that uh, passion come through from Winnie on these projects. I think where our our conversation with Phil Bowen was such a technical geek episode, this yeah. is definitely a more, like, movie geek episode, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Uh, we, we were definitely getting, like, amped in here just talking about movies we either hadn't seen in a while or movies we've, like, just, like, movies that inspired us and, like, uh, movies that still do inspire us. Um when he even talks about, like, she can name the film that made her want to drop everything and become a filmmaker, which is awesome. Um, and we all kind of jumped in with our own stories of that. So, um, yeah, I think we there was definitely a really awesome energy in the room. We were all kind of just talking more about, like, movies we love and, and uh, you know, directors and, and their approaches to it. So, here we go. My biggest fear of starting a nine to five was that I was going to get really comfortable mm-hmm. and like complacent. Yeah. And I was going to like run out of like ideas because you're like on the spot all the time, like mm-hmm. every day. And I feel like that hasn't happened, mm-hmm. <laughs> like thankfully. Yeah. I think that's why I love being surrounded by freelancers. And mm-hmm. I like try to stay in that like hustle mode yeah. is because I learn from every single one of them. Every time on, I'm on a production, I love their work ethic. I love their tenacity that they like have to earn it every single time. Yeah. So it's like your reputation is your gold mm-hmm. when you're in production. Like every set that you're on, like every encounter experience that you have, people are going to remember that. Yeah. Like it's a first impression every time. Yeah. I work for Pandora. There's a corporate structure. There's mm-hmm. like a conventionalism to that. And then I look at like my freelance friends or friends that run other production studios and I'm like, lucky them. They have so much freedom. They don't have to like <laughs> go through all these like loopholes and legal and finance and brand and like get all these people to buy in on something. Yeah. You know, but I'm sure you guys go through the same shit, but it's yeah. just maybe so, like smaller scale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, well, and I it's it's funny cuz you say that yeah, how do you fit this into a nine to five structure because uh-huh. like like a lot of production I think of it as like a sleeper cell yeah it's like you go these stretches where you're doing almost nothing mm-hmm. and then you have to focus your attention on that production day mm-hmm. or that you know that that Easter window famine. of yeah. you know a couple of weeks where you're in go mode yeah and so it's like to do the opposite side of that where day in day out yeah you know, five days a week or whatever yeah and, and you have to bring that to it it's yeah. almost counterintuitive to how it's like there are two worlds that, that don't really work in the same yeah, way, you know? But but I would have to say that like even with my team, like I'm on the custom content video team, like we all have freelance backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So I'm still working with people who have that work ethic. I have a DPA that I work with in LA and he has no life, <laughs> I've decided, because he literally texts me like whether it's work related or not, like almost every day. And sometimes I'll get a work-related text at like three in the morning where he has questions about the production. And I'm like, I'm up like all the time. I rarely sleep and (laughs) I will answer him. But it's like, I should probably draw the line somewhere. I have my nine to five. Like if I'm doing that and 
I'm like on call all the time, yeah. then I'm really, I'm never stopping. Right. And I'm going to burn myself out. Yeah. Like yeah. I've had to really think about like what precedence I'm setting with people, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that like, okay, I'm not just working 40 hour weeks. I'm working like 60 hour weeks like yeah. normally. Yeah. It's like completely self-induced. Mm-hmm. It's not even asked of me, but like, I think that's just like part of my personality. Okay. Like right now, my team and like when I say my team, it's like the younger people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think, I mean, I love that we have, like, a good range of age on Mm -hmm. our team. Mm -hmm. But, like, I have a shooter. She's the newest one on our team. And she's, like, super creative. She's definitely a hustler. Mm -hmm. She's a shooter, editor, writer. She's very thoughtful, very insightful, very, like, process-oriented, too. And, you know, sometimes I see her being super frustrated because she has the constraints of Pandora. Mm -hmm. Like whether it's in terms of the artist selection that we have or the types of the programs that are sold and then we shoot it, sometimes there's very little room Mm -hmm. to be flexible with those. I think there was one day where I was like, Melinda, why don't you just like shoot something that you would normally shoot and let's just like sell that and like pitch that. (laughs) And she was like, you don't understand. It's like, there just seems to be these like constraints of being within a company. Yeah. Because then anything that the company creates and put, puts out as content, that's what it's going to be associated with. So yeah. you have to like get a lot of people to sign off on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, the too many cooks in the kitchen syndrome mm-hmm. like happens a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a director friend of ours a long time ago. He's DGA, does, you mm-hmm. know, awesome big commercial work. Mm-hmm. And he works with agencies all the time and so he's like 10% of what I do is creative yeah. and the other 90% is client education yeah. and management and yeah. navigation and you would think they would teach that in art school oh yeah you, like, yeah. you would think that right before you graduate <laughs> yeah. yeah management like self business management 101 yeah. like what rates do you set for yourself <laughs> like you know what do you deserve yeah um like it's crazy that even today, like, that's not really a priority mm-hmm. for students to get that education before they are released into the wild. No, like, for sure. you learn the hard way. You learn by getting burned. You yeah. learn by doing free work. You yeah. learn by getting an internship and not getting paid. And, yeah. you know, I mean, at where I do see the value in, like, those experiences, I don't know. So everybody starts somewhere. We live in the Bay Area. It's fucking expensive. Yeah. Yeah. You can't expect a student to come out and be like, okay, I'm going to work for free, but pay for a thousand dollar room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. What do you think the disconnect there is? Because it seems... Cause I think it's getting better. You think so? I completely think it's getting better because mm. even between like 2012 and 2014 and now... I think the landscape for production and content creation has totally changed. I think that companies are actually understanding that, oh, it costs to make a video. Mm -hmm. Like, actually, like, this is the amount of resources, the amount of time, and the amount of budget that's required to make a 30-second social promo or a sizzle piece or, you know, a recap. And I think companies are, are finally starting to catch up. And that's why I think production is so healthy right now. Mm-hmm. Most of the freelancers I know are always booked. Yeah, They rarely take vacation because they want to be working all the time. Because yeah. yeah. there's so much good work. Mm-hmm. Like I know Netflix has been shooting like a couple shows here and features. I think the variety of stuff that's being made here has like flourished. It's not just like explainer videos and, yeah. right. you know, corporate stuff. It's like more commercial, more features, more indies, more music videos. Mm-hmm. There just seems to be a more like variety. Mm-hmm. I know sort of like the political landscape, like a similar thing happened with Seattle years and years ago, yeah. where it's like Washington almost lost their film office because they were so mm-hmm. difficult to work with for mm-hmm. outside productions. It's interesting because you're saying Netflix, because there's also like, there's a content creator that's actually in the like greater Bay Area, South Bay. Yeah. there. I mean, remember the... Um, what was it called? AB, gosh, it was like an uh, some kind of like ordinance or bill that was being pushed mm-hmm. in 2014. And there's a big convention or conference at the Fairmont in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And like I went and it was literally like a gala. Like I felt <laughs> underdressed because it was Whoa. just like music and like, um, what's his name? Danny Glover was there. Danny Glover's in everything here. I don't know why. <laughs> he's actually from here. That's why. Yeah. Oh, funny. But he's yeah. always like the guest speaker or the yeah. MC. And it's like, yeah. there's Danny Glover again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
there was this like, it was called like AB 75 or something like that. Because we were losing so many film jobs to LA and to like Atlanta or Canada or -hmm. like New Orleans, Californian film like commissions were saying, okay, we need to bring the jobs back. Mm -hmm. Like we actually need to give filmmakers tax incentives and like we need to make sure that the unions are employed. And so after that, I feel like that actually made a difference. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, I don't know what I I like didn't follow it as closely as I probably should have. But I just remember that being kind of a moment of like, wow, almost every freelancer that I knew was there. Yeah. And like all different roles, all Mm. different ages, like union people, non-union people. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, like this, this must be a huge problem because for everybody to show up and feel like, okay, we need to address this as a group, as a collective and like make change, like take it to Sacramento and like present this as, as a actual bill. Like, I think that uh, it's kind of interesting that like, I don't know, politics, I'm not that fond of, Mm -hmm. but I, (laughs) I'm like really happy that that Mm -hmm. brought people together. Yeah. And I know the San Francisco Film Commission has been doing a lot to try to work well with filmmakers and local studios just to make it easier to get like permits and yeah I think they've definitely been easier to work with yeah yeah over the last like decade probably like definitely now than in the beginning and also maybe it also comes with just experience of like knowing what to ask and well they also brought in younger people to work at that office ah okay like Lauren Machado is one of the girls that was running like a department there and she was just like gung-ho about more film opportunities making San Francisco known as like an easy place to film Mm -hmm. like that was her personal MO you know so like I don't know I think it depends on the people that you bring in and um, what they're trying to do the advocacy versus the the stigma of like what the Bay Area is because I definitely think there's a like idea that LA is movies and Bay Area is commercials or whatever you know it's like anything like that to just by saying it yeah it's over true. and over and over again, it, yeah. it becomes true. Totally. And so it's nice to see that that's clearly not the, the case. case anymore. Yeah. And it's yeah. even like talking to a friend of ours who's a director and creative director where he's like, you know, so what do you, what do you want to be doing? And yeah. I was like, well, my passion is in narrative work and features yeah. and stuff. And he's like, that's really interesting hearing that because I thought everybody just wanted to do the corporate commercial thing. That's who pays. Like, that's where you're able to run this operation. Mm -hmm. Like, it pays the bills. It keeps you functioning. I mean, sometimes you get a really good interview. And you're like, wow, I, like, learned something out of that. Or have more respect for this founder or the CEO because of that conversation. But, like, for a lot of it, I don't think a lot of people wake up and, like, I want to make a corporate video. (laughs) I want to make a talking head video. You know what I mean? There's only so much you can do. That's probably not why we do this. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Or it's rare. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, but I have a I have a kind of a very basic interview question of like how did yeah. how did you kind of get started in this? It's funny because when I, I was, <laughs> do you a, see these notes? I, I've been kind of like yeah, giggling. <laughs> you're at this ready to go. Yeah, like you're an right. A student. I think you're the first person to come in with notes. You know why? Because yeah. okay, so in my e- email back to you, I was like, I think I said like, oh, how should I prepare? How should I prepare? Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking like, okay, I at that point I'd only listened to a couple of episodes mm-hmm. from your podcast. And I was like, well, I wonder, like, what direction these conversations get steered in. Mm -hmm. Like, if there's a common thread. I'm always looking for a common thread. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, like, how, what answers would I have? (laughs) Like, that's literally the question in my head. So on Saturday, I hung out with Melinda and our friend Ed, and they developed film. Uh They, like, still do the old school, like, developing and printing. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Still? Stills, yeah. And... I, like, didn't have anything going on that night, so I, like, went home, and then I, like, listened to every episode that you guys did <laughs> on Saturday. I'm, I have no social life. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting because I feel like that question of why we do this, it's like a glimpse into the timeline of your life. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't think I've ever really noted throughout my life, like what my influences have have been in different times. Hmm. And so that's kind of like where these notes are from. It's just like what has been an influence, whether it's been a person, a film, a scene, a moment or an experience. And it's all kind of like led me to the like exactly where I am mm-hmm. like right now. Yeah. Um, so that's why I have notes in front of me because I was like, I'm going to forget that. That, that was really important. <laughs> 
You know? But there's something to be said about the thing that pops into your brain first, too. Right? Yeah. Like, um, totally. Yeah, I'm only asking that question because I'm not yeah. trying to steer it. I'm just kind yeah. of like, that sometimes sparks a whole other side yeah. of things. Like, so what was your question? How, oh, just how, how, I... how did you get started? Oh, yeah, okay. like, I'm always interested yeah. to hear that. Oh. So uh, it's kind of weird. Like, so I graduated from UC Santa Barbara in 2006. Oh. And I, I was, yeah, I was like pre-law or I had switched from psychology to, like, pre-law my last year of school. I would like, studied abroad, and I was like, I'm going to do immigration law, and I'm going to, like, fight for underserved people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I hated law. Like, I, like, worked for the, the public defender and the private investigator, too. So I was, like, serving subpoenas in Santa Barbara. Wow. And I hated it. It was, like, I was, like, watching old tapes just like weird shit. And yeah. I was like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. all the paperwork, the stacks of papers, and like nothing really changes and nothing gets done. Hmm. And I was like, I was feeling really unfulfilled. So all of my friends from college had moved up to San Francisco and I was like, I should probably move to the Bay. So I moved to the Bay and I was recruited at this technology firm to be uh, an inside sales rep. Wow. This is like 2006. And I did that for two and a half to three years and I was like promoted as a team lead. I was managing a team in San Francisco and managing a team in Nashville and there were like 15 people in each location. It actually gave me a lot of experience managing people and also like quantitative experience because Mm. with psychology and pre-law it was just like reading a lot and a lot of theory and like really abstract concepts Mm. whereas I needed the quantitative experience Mm -hmm. of like forecasting and budgets and like all this other stuff so that's what I got out of it but I was so tired of that job that I left in the end of 2009 and I backpacked through Southeast Asia by myself for four months wow and I went to Thailand spent a month getting stuck in Thailand waiting for my debit card And then they kept sending it to the wrong island. (laughs) Um, And then I went to Cambodia after that. And it was in Cambodia that I saw a flyer one night. And the flyer said that there was a screening of this documentary film called In a Dream. In a Dream is about this Philadelphia mosaic glass artist. And he is just this crazy human being. Mm -hmm. But he makes this beautiful mosaic work that covers Philadelphia. Like if you go to Philadelphia, you'll actually see a lot of his work just on streets, like Mm. everywhere. And I found out that his son was the one that made that film while he was in film school at USC. I was watching the film and I was like, you know, at the time I was doing a travel blog and I was taking photography and meeting people and writing about those experiences. And I was just like, this feels a lot like journalism. Mm. And I've always had a fascination for journalism. But I always thought that there was a huge barrier breaking into that industry if you don't study journalism. Yeah. I mean, for any paper, for any magazine, for any like real writing publications that are reputable, you can see that the barrier to entry is pretty high. Yeah. And so I felt really intimidated by that. But after watching this film, I was super inspired. And I was like, I think I know what I want to pursue when I go back to San Francisco. I want to go back to school and I want to work on documentaries because mm-hmm. I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories and then communicating it to the rest of the world. So I spent another two months traveling. So I came back to San Francisco and I enrolled in this program, a filmmaking program, kind of like a shortcut um, as opposed to like enrolling in a traditional school. So I did the summer program, an intensive program. And at the end of it, I created this trailer for a documentary about a friend of mine who lives in San Francisco, who has HIV, who's had it for decades now. Mm -hmm. And he is just this really, really vibrant individual. Probably the most vibrant person I've ever met, considering that he has been living with this disease. So I knew that I wanted to go further with this, and I looked into Academy of Art, Mm -hmm. and I knew that they had a program called the Multimedia Communications. So I was trying to decide between that and MPT, which Mm -hmm. is Motion Pictures and Television. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that the journalism route was closer to this multimedia Mm -hmm. program. So I enrolled in that, went there for two years, learned a ton. I actually took a lot of MPT classes as well, just so I could have the skills that I needed to come out and like make work. And then I graduated from that, did a ton of freelance and just like did everything that I could. I 
PA'd, I shot, I edited, I ran sound. I called myself a sound person, which is so insulting now. <laughs> like knowing what goes into sound. I was like holding a Zoom and like I had my little like wireless lav and I was like, yeah, I'm a sound person. Yeah. <laughs> like bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're, you know, when you're newly graduated, you have to wear a lot of hats to yeah. get gigs. And you also just have to say like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. yeah right? And then yeah. you learn it. Yeah. You, you yeah. basically learn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before, you know, the shoot day. Um, so I was, you know, trying to take on a lot of different roles and just like get gigs and just stay booked. Mm-hmm. And it was it was manageable. I felt like every single time I learned something new on set, which was great. I also made a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like those mistakes, you know, gave me nightmares. Like I still think back and I'm just like, I cringe, but I'm really glad that I had those mistakes just because shit happens. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially when you're new, you just, you kind of have, it's like a rite of passage yeah. Yeah. to make mistakes and hope that you don't make the same ones. Yeah. And you can pass that on to other people. And like, then hey, you can pass don't it on do to other that. People. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I mean, one of them is kind of funny because I had, like, a Rode mic on my 5D. And I remember I shot, like, for, like, five or ten minutes during this, like, doula training in the mission. And I realized that the Rode mic was not on. Because, you know, there's a little, like, on switch. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, mistakes like that. Yeah. You know, that you're just like, how did I not think of that? Like, how did I forget that one little step? Yep. There's always this, like, there's a lot of steps, especially when you're doing, like, a one-man or one-woman band. There's so many things that you have to keep in mind. That's why, you know, you should always think about, like, who you need to bring on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so you're not compromising, Mm -hmm. you know, the really important steps. Because all day you can say you can do something. Mm -hmm. But if that's not your specialty and you're just trying to cover your butt or just trying to do it on the cheap, like it benefits no one. Mm-hmm. You're going to make a mistake yeah. and you're going to pay for it and you're yeah. going to feel like shit. I think there's different reasons for it. It's like some of it mm-hmm. is you want to take all this stuff on, you know, and some of you it do. is like the, yeah. the letting go of control, but also the trust that like when you have people, yeah. like, yeah, if you have more people who are doing different roles and they're not good at their job, yeah. then it's just all a mess. But if yeah. you have people that they're specifically looking at those things yeah. and then you just don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. And know? I think, that's kind of where I've seen the change in the production landscape in terms of having like clients who are, you know, tech companies or mm-hmm. nonprofits. It's changed because I think maybe in years past, they've wanted to stay within a certain really strict budget. So mm-hmm. they kind of like want that one person yeah. to be able to do a lot. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think now they understand the importance of having really clear audio, yeah. really clear visuals, like somebody who can actually incorporate great motion graphics or animation and design into your final piece. Mm-hmm. Like I think that people are starting to understand the value in line items. Yeah. You know, so it's it's really evolved. Like what is that? Is it the is it time? Is it the amount of Gradual education? Is it new people that understand it more? I think it's visibility into the amount of work that's out there Mm -hmm. and the quality of work that's out there. I feel like I'm really coming across less shitty work, Mm -hmm. whereas like before it was like, you know, really shaky, handheld. Like I feel like that the bar has been raised. Mm -hmm. And so companies are able to see that and expect that. Mm -hmm. Like they expect the higher quality and they're willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's time. Maybe it's the quantity of work that's been produced over the last decade. But I definitely see progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A question we do kind of often ask, is there something out there like a, a kind of work or a role or something that you've you haven't had an opportunity to do or to take yeah. on like a type of project you've always wanted to try. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've never said like I want to be a director. Right. And there's actually certain things that I've seen where I've had that like visceral reaction of like I would like to direct something like that. Mm-hmm. So an example of that would be like Sia's chandelier video. Right. <laughs> like Maddie Ziegler. Yeah. She's my hero. She's amazing. She's a little hero. Yeah. There was an album that Chagoros <laughs> <laughs> had put out called Voltari, mm-hmm. and he had prompted 16 directors, I believe, mm. and given them $10,000 each to produce whatever they wanted oh, wow. for one track mm-hmm. from the Voltari album. 
all of those short films screened at the Roxy Theater in, I think it was like 2014? I don't know. In the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched that, and a lot of them were dance films. Yeah. And I just thought, I don't know why I have this weird affinity to dance films. I think because, I mean, I find dancers, their grace and their movement is really... It's so fluid. And -hmm. I don't see myself as like a really fluid person. I'm a horrible swimmer. (laughs) Um, And so I think it's my fascination with like dancers and how music can really push a body's boundaries and create an environment for the viewer and the listener to have this like really visceral, comprehensive experience. I'm really fascinated by that. And I'm also really fascinated by, you know, foreign films. Like, my life goal, I think this is on my t- Tinder profile, um, my, my, the thing under my, like, name, it's like, I could die happy if I made my foreign film. Like, okay. I literally think that if I make my foreign film, which I have the concept down, uh-huh. I'm, like, trying to write the screenplay, if I make it and I, like, put it out into the world, I could literally die the next day and be totally fine with that. All right. <laughs> That's my life goal. Yeah. I like the idea of you saying your foreign film is, the, like, because... Yeah. In theory, like any film we make in another country is a foreign film. Right. What, what is your? What do you qualify so, as a foreign film? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because okay, so I'm from Hong Kong originally, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite directors is Wong Kar Wai, mm-hmm. and a reason why I love Wong Kar Wai is because I think he evokes nostalgia. Mm-hmm. He does a really good job using characters to portray countries mm-hmm. or ideas, and having those characters interact. And when I watch it, I think of my own country, like Hong Kong, and I've always had this idea of creating this story, like a period piece that represents my own time there. Mm -hmm. And when I was living there, it was like 1983 to 1987. And my family moved to the U.S. because my dad was worried about what was going to happen to Hong Kong Mm -hmm. in 1997 the changeover or the transfer back to China. And so there are a lot of really specific individuals during that time who are trying to make decisions of whether they needed to stay or go. And so whether you are an expat or a native or even like an Indian government official, those three kind of characters are really specific to that time period. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking about making a foreign film that reflects their story and their identity because I, I feel like it would answer questions that I have about my own. Mm-hmm, yeah. So that's why I think like if I were to make that, I, I'd be happy. I'd that's be really so happy. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Would you I, do it in another language? It would be in Cantonese. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it would be subtitled, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, my like my dream festival to get into and it's like, it's probably, it's pretty realistic, I think. It's the San Francisco, you know, International Film Festival. I think they have a really good foreign film curation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like every every time that they've had the festival, I think I've watched it at the Kabuki. And I've always watched a foreign film every single year. And I'm just like, I come out of it. I'm like, I want my film to be part of that. <laughs> I like the idea that you said almost thinking of making a film as something you would learn from. Mm-hmm. I always think about that in terms of uh, like actual experience, like, mm-hmm. you know, every project I want to work on personally is something I will like learn something from. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know, there was something you said about learning something about your past mm-hmm. through that experience. That yeah. seems really, really interesting to me. I actually think I repress my past, like uh, just what with my identity, with my ethnicity, you know, I have parents who don't overtly express themselves. Hmm. I've told this to people before, but I can't express certain emotions in Cantonese. Whereas in English, it's like, it comes so easy. Hmm. There are words that I just cannot find in Cantonese to, to express how I feel about something. And I've, I've had conversations with my mom or my dad where, you know, I was trying to express something, whether I was unhappy or angry or wanted something, you know, wanted something out of our relationship. And I wasn't able to say it in a way that they could be receptive to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually felt like I would hurt their feelings. You know, I think Aziz Ansari for, yeah. you know, Master of None, like the parents episode. Yeah, amazing. Amazing and so, so spot on yeah. for somebody who grew up in an ethnic household. Yeah. There are things that I, I will never know about my parents. Yeah. Unless I ask them specifically. Yeah. 
things that they'll never bring up, you know? And so I think that repression kind of feels why I want to make this film in Hong Kong. Like, I want to spend my time there and actually really get a better sense of the place and where I was born and how I feel among the people that live there and how I can observe the different kind of communities Mm -hmm. that are there. Because I don't get that here. I speak Cantonese fluently, but it's only with my family Mm -hmm. or family friends. And, you know, English is my primary language now. Mm -hmm. So even my thoughts, my dreams are in English. So I feel like it's that curiosity that I have about my past I need to do something about. That's really, really cool. Yeah. You know, this sort of like this idea of why we do this and what we're discovering and what we're learning. And is it an internal thing or an external thing? You mm-hmm. know, and I feel like there's something really interesting about just storytelling and filmmaking. You, you can explore both sort of external ideas and learn more sort of, you know, about the world or mm-hmm. about something that you don't understand. But mm-hmm. then also so much work, I think, is to make it personal mm-hmm. and to find that I that think, part of you. Yeah, and I think I think it translates for people that watch content. I love the backstory yeah. of how films are made. Sometimes I'll read a caption for something and it satisfies me more than just watching the film. Mm-hmm. Like after I watched the film, I was like, well, like I kind of feel like the description of how it was made or why it was made was more interesting yeah. to me than the actual work. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, I I don't know why that is, but when it becomes personal, I think it really translates for people Mm -hmm. because, you know, then it doesn't then it doesn't really stay personal because the viewer feels connected to it and engaged to it and finds their own interpretation of it. Yeah. And it becomes it becomes personal for them. Yeah. So that's where you connect with your viewer is when both parties feel like, you know, there's there's something substantial there. Even just like in film study and, and story writing. It's like that idea of the more personal you make it, the more accessible and the more personal it's going to be to another viewer. Yeah. You know? I mean, the, the danger is it might be too specific, and so you can't hit, you can't hit a wide right. audience. Yeah. But in some cases, you probably don't want that, you know, because yeah. you don't want to water down. No. The, then you would be making, like, Die Hard, <laughs> which, like, I have nothing against Die Hard, but, like, Waterworld. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, then you're, then you're making it, like, are you really making it for the right reasons? Mm-hmm. Right. If you're trying to get as many eyeballs on it as possible yeah. and trying to make as much money as you can off of it, like, what's your intentions? Yeah. You know, like, I don't want to be that kind of filmmaker. Mm-hmm. If I have 10 people sitting in a room and two people walk away and say, wow, yeah, like that resonated with me and it was their own like personal interpretation. I feel like that's a success, Yeah, you know, and I would be happy with that. It's a focused response, you know, mm-hmm. it's like one person out of those 10 mm-hmm. is just blown away mm-hmm. as opposed to all 10 walk out going, this, this, this is all right. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's what makes film so amazing. So like I remember I was studying abroad in Hong Kong and I had no idea about Eternal Sunshine. Mm-hmm. And I had come back to UC Santa Barbara and my ex-boyfriend at the time was like, I need to take you to see this film. <laughs> so he and like his like stoner friends and me <laughs> went to go see this film. I was like on the edge of my seat, just like jaw dropped, yeah. like hanging onto every single word <laughs> and, and visual and just thinking, this is an experience yeah. that I'm going to yeah. remember. Yeah. And I walked out and I just, I wanted to see it again. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to understand it. I wanted to like analyze it. I wanted to take it apart. I wanted to understand why I felt the way that I did yeah. watching that film. Yeah. So I'm like a huge fan of Dogma 95. Mm-hmm. So like Lars von Trier, um, Thomas Vinterberg. And I only took one film class at UC Santa Barbara and it was like film 101. And the professor had screened The Celebration. Yeah. I have still haven't that? seen that. that I'm going to order it and I'm going to just like send fantastic. it to you. Yeah. I still have not <laughs> seen it. We, we because, talk about it pretty regularly. Oh, my gosh. It makes you sick to your stomach. Mm. I mean, it's so intense and it's so real. And the goal of Dogma 95 is like not to rely on lighting and yeah. technology yeah. and yeah. you know it's it's about the acting it's about the performance it's about how close it can be to reality yeah. mm-hmm. and i think that movie really 
was one of the biggest influences film-wise. It's to this day, I think about it and I still get that same reaction. I'm just like, holy shit, people can be like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I love I love films like that. That's awesome. I think the realism and the authenticity mm -hmm. and just the, the messiness, mm -hmm. you know, it's mm -hmm. like, I think that was one of the things that was really striking about that collective is like, and I think really good storytelling is mm -hmm. like the willingness to go there. there. Yeah. And I think the storytelling is what comes through so that everything else doesn't matter. Yeah. Like that's why the shakiness and the low light mm -hmm. and like, you know, nothing looks perfect. Yeah. Like I think that's why that doesn't matter because the story is, is what gets you and the story is what holds you mm -hmm. and everything else just, it's extra. It's funny because I feel like when it misses the mark, it's about the technical feat being like, oh, the thing that's going to make this more real is yeah. shaky camera yeah. as opposed to yeah. a good story and right, then everything right. else is secondary. I think that's like you get this idea of like all of the elements to make this thing more truthful. Yeah. But really it's like they didn't take the time to be like, is this story something that's yeah. really like, yeah, totally. you know, powerful? I kind of miss film school because that's all you yeah, do is like I definitely do too. watch I've... movies. All I try to get my coworkers to do that with me. Yeah. I don't. Like, people don't understand. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I go back and forth. Like, I definitely own a shitload of film books. Mm. At some point, I just, I can't do it anymore. It's like yeah. I'm sick of it. But at other points, I'm just like, you know what? It would be nice to go back. Like, I have, a, I have a book that's just on all the different types of shots. Yeah. You know, like yeah. what point of view shot, crane shot, yeah. pan, tilt, whatever. Yeah. Like, and, and, <laughs> and just having a moment where I'm just like... The Dutch angle. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like even some of the dumbest, simplest stuff that, that is just, I mean, it's, it's every, like, yeah. you're not going to reinvent the wheel on yeah. these shots. But it's like, it would be nice to go back and be like, I should just pick up that book and just yeah. look at five pages yeah. and just see what is there that I'm like... It's been so long that I just don't think about it anymore, yeah. you know? I think what, like, these books offer, and, and maybe it, it's just, like, film, what it has to offer is it's not just a form of art. It's, like, a philosophy. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a way of life for people. It's, like, our history. Certain communities of people have oral histories or hieroglyphics or whatever they leave behind to tell the story of what life was like. Yeah. I think that's film for us. Mm -hmm. So in a big way. That's why it's such a study on life. Yeah. No matter how romanticized or ridiculous these portrayals are, yeah. there's a reason why somebody felt a need to make that portrayal. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to say something about what they're seeing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what makes it interesting. I think time is is really interesting concept because there's never enough of it and you can always use more, mm -hmm. you know, especially in pre-production Yeah, and on shoot days, you can always use more time. But it's like we treat time with less respect now, mm -hmm. I think. Like the pressure is on the director or whatever crew member to get it done fast yeah. and to okay. get it done yeah. under budget and under mm -hmm. time. And it's yeah. like, I think we've kind of like really lost the respect for time. Yeah. yeah, things require field. more time yes. to, whether it's in the actual filmmaking, to be given that focus. That's something I had to really learn as a producer, mm -hmm. is there was so much of me that was like, okay, we got to hit this fucking yeah. time, we got to mm -hmm. do this time. Mm -hmm. And I'd be pressuring AJ mm -hmm. about like stuff, but then after a while I was like, I could see in the work, we didn't do this thing right because yeah. I pushed too hard to like hit a deadline. Yeah. With ADs, producers, your job is to fucking figure that out, right? right. It's just like, yeah. give them more time and then we'll just fucking figure out how the rest of the day is going to go or whatever yeah. it is. Right. Um, so, yeah, like, uh, have you watched Every Frame of Painting? It's an no. amazing series. I don't think so. On YouTube. I will send them to you. It's not Bob Ross on Netflix? No. <laughs> no. no, it's a series. Well, that would it's, be it's amazing a, to, to merge the two together. We're trying to get these guys to be on our show. Yeah. Um, so it's a group of guys who love film yeah. like love it yeah. and um to the, and they're all editors i think uh-huh and uh there's a really good one about um 
giving things time to breathe, like mm -hmm. giving moments time to breathe. They actually use uh, In the Mood for Love as an example mm -hmm. uh, and versus like Ant-Man or something yeah. like yeah. So, they, so like, which is also a movie I love, but like yeah. it, they, show, they show how like letting moments breathe mm -hmm. and how like a lot of new films are just trying to kick things out quickly, mm -hmm. but they lose the like emotional resonance that yeah. they should have mm -hmm. yeah. um, in certain yeah. moments. So it's, uh, I'll, I'll send that to you. It's really yeah. good. There's, have you seen um, Six Days to Air? Oh, yes, no. the South Park documentary. Oh my no. god! So it's basically it's so that's that's fascinating to me because yeah. it's basically how the first like Christmas card that they ever made yeah. took them like three months to make. <laughs> but as time has gone on, they've gotten more efficient and they're just dialed in more. Yeah. That they finally hit a point where they can make a show from start to finish in six days. And so. That's crazy. Like, come up with ideas, turn yeah. it into a story, give it to the animators, build it, record it, and then they're literally handing the tape off an hour before it airs to the to the studio. Yeah. And they realize when they did that, the, the moment they could actually do that, yeah. there was no going back. Yeah. And they can't, they can't not do a show in oh, six yeah. days. Yeah. Well, that's, okay, it's funny you say that because you can kind of put yourself in a box that way. Yeah. Or like back yourself into a corner because once you show that it can be done, mm -hmm. then that's the expectation yeah. that yeah. you can do it for that amount of time for this budget, whatever. One thing that was really frustrating that I know for like freelancers was people that would set really low rates for themselves. They are basically screwing everybody else. Yeah, yeah. like that client is going to ask for that rate yeah. no matter who you are. Yeah, it w it was it's so frustrating. Yeah, for everybody, and it it helps nobody. So, like, when I come across a freelancer who sets, like, a really low rate, I'm like, are you sure about that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're not really helping anybody yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. It's a funny <laughs> thing. We, we experienced that, and I, I'd love to just pick your brain on this, because we we hit a point where it was like, there. I, th I feel like we don't experience it anymore. But I was going to bring this up, too. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. yeah, but there was a window of time where we just, company after company after company we would talk to, Yeah, we would get, the magic number for a video was 15K. I was gonna say, it's either between 10 to 15. Yeah, it was like everybody we would talk to, and I started having this thought in my head that was just like, where did this start? Yeah, because yeah. you know what, it started somewhere. Yeah. It started somewhere, and I was thinking <laughs> this, this, the same thing. Like the big ones that popped in my head were, it's either a marketing person somewhere that gave a That got like an RFP, and yeah. it just came back as 10K, so everything's were, 10K now. Yeah, exactly, yeah. or it was, somebody it's like a production company mm -hmm. who's going like oh i can do it for 15k yeah and then just as time goes on it's like then nobody else can can go above that go yeah. above that and yeah. all videos are the same they yeah. all fit into 15k right yeah like uh, no matter what you're trying to do yeah yeah we really like the super bowl ad but uh it's so our budget's 15k and we're like <laughs> well no yeah we once got uh it's like somebody showed us a video reference and it was like gorgeous time lapse of yeah. clouds and fog rolling over yeah. the Bay Area for like five minutes. And I was like, that's great, but somebody <laughs> somebody spent like yeah. weeks to months yeah. just getting those perfect yeah. shots. Yeah. And it's just like, it's this, the how do you talk about it? But it was like, yeah. it was really interesting. It's just like some somebody somewhere yeah. set a standard and it, it just took forever to yeah. try to get people out of that box and totally. understand that it's like, that's not how you, you yeah. think about it. I think that's where studios and, and filmmakers and freelancers become educators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Like you need to look at yourself as an educator because people who are not in this field do not know how to speak the language, yeah. do not know what they're looking for most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so you need, to, you need to help them. You're a consultant. You have the expertise. That's why they are seeking your services. Yeah. So having that confidence that you can drive that conversation and mm -hmm. inform and educate them so that they can make a educated decision. That is the role to take on. Um, and I think I, th I don't think everybody realizes that. Yeah. Like they have that authority. They have that responsibility. But yeah, I can see why that gets really frustrating and annoying. <laughs> One of the things that I do think is really interesting is like we work with a lot of producers, but yeah. you, have a, you have a very unique position in mm -hmm. working in sort of the corporate space. Mm -hmm and being a content creator. Mm -hmm. How do you experience that? Like, talk mm -hmm. about yeah. that. Working for a company that, you know, its primary focus is music and technology. 
and bringing the connection between the artist and the listener. That's like the MO, the goal of the company. And I just felt like, you know, the content that we create at Pandora, you know, most of it is doc style. Mm -hmm. So interviews, behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, day in the life of, experiential, you know, performances, um, sizzle reels. You know, it's not stuff that I hadn't been doing before. Because really, my goal as a producer, and maybe this is oversimplified, but my goal as a producer is not just to make great content, but to have every single component of the production, whether it's crew, whether it's the artist or my internal team, whoever's on set, whoever is working on the project, I want them to walk away from the experience having it been positive. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I want them to be like, man, that was a great crew. I want to work yeah. with them again. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Or, wow, that was a great day. That was like the best schedule, you know, like mm-hmm. everything was so seamless. So I think my goal is a producer i think it it really serves any kind of genre Mm -hmm. whether it's documentary or commercial or feature or music i think as long as i have that as a priority Mm -hmm. it really doesn't matter what kind of content i'm creating yeah i've learned a lot at pandora and working with this team they're like my favorite humans like i am on a text thread with four of them every single day outside of work i see them five days a week Hmm. but every single night we're texting each other just like about what show we're watching, what we're doing, <laughs> like planning, you know, the next show that we're going to go to. I mean, nice. it's just like I should be sick of them already. <laughs> it's been two years yep. and I'm not. They're like my best friends and it doesn't get any better when you can work with people that you really, really enjoy as people. Yeah. It's just kind of a perk that we get to make some really cool content. Yeah. One of my favorite productions was with Odessa. And we did something that we'd never done before, which is go on the road with a band. Mm -hmm. So we worked with them for a couple days in Nashville while they rehearsed. And then they had this huge, like, kickoff show in New Orleans, like on Halloween. And we were there with them that entire week. Oh, man. Like, I thought about getting a therapist when I came (laughs) back from that production because there were so many things that I learned Mm -hmm. from that experience of just, like, Everything was experimental. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was something that we hadn't done before. The type of access that we had to this band, Mm -hmm. um, the type of relationship that we were building, the the amount of time that we had. And traveling with my internal team, the bond that we had just from that week together Mm -hmm. working on this project and feeling so completely invested. And then the months after when we're in post and dealing with the back and forth and trying to make the best thing that we could, out of all the all of this footage, it's to date it's my favorite production, you know, by far because I mean that that's like why I do this, mm-hmm. you know? Like I think bonding is really important to me. And I just know it can sound really cheesy, but like I'm a sucker for <laughs> bonding with people. And it's really important for me to bond with people, whether it's my crew or the band that we're working with. Mm-hmm. You mean like like bonding, you mean like through an experience? Through an experience, yeah. 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 Like I'll still get emails from an artist's manager and they're like, hey, we're in town, do you guys want free tickets to the show? Yeah. And I'm like, that indicates we had a great time with you yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. you walked away and you were happy with what we did. Yeah, for sure. You know, and that to me is just like the highest praise. Yeah. yeah. Zella Day's manager hit me up along with my creative director and they're like, can we hire you? to produce content for Zella like outside of Pandora. <laughs> and I was like, that speaks volumes yeah, yeah. to what a good time they had. Yeah. You know, and not just like on a level of being happy with what we produce, but on a level of like, wow, spending time with you guys was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's really important to me that people have that experience yeah. with my team, you know. But it is nice when you have that because when you've got that bond, that experience, it opens up everything and you get the potential for just better more interesting work too yeah because you find those moments you find those it's like yeah and that's the i think that's the stuff that really is what we want to see you know it's like when everybody's guard is down yeah when you're able to be more invisible and just there with the the moment yeah you know what's cool is that you choose the people that you surround yourself with right as a producer or director or whatever. Like, it's very selective. And if somebody, like, fucks up, like, makes a really bad impression, you're probably not going to choose them again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have them on your set again. Totally. Yep. Like, it's kind of cool that you get to be so selective about who you work with 
every time and and mm-hmm. you're going to come across new people like always yeah. you know like but they're recommended by the people that you right, do know totally. yeah. so it's like good people know good people yeah. usually yeah. and it's kind of nice that you just like your good people network just like grows exponentially yeah. Yeah. in production yeah like i've met so many people just in the last year that you know i'm just like i don't mind hanging out with them yeah yeah i have an audio guy that lives in new york who called me on Friday and was like, I'm in town with my entire family, my two sisters, my parents. Um, what are you doing tonight? And I ended up taking him and his sisters to Madrone to my friend's nice. birthday. And then <laughs> at awesome. Madrone, we're like, I've never been to Berlin. I've never been to Berlin. We're going to go to Berlin. <laughs> like, we're going to try to go to Berlin the first two weeks of October. Nice. You know, so it's just like, I just love moments like that where yeah. you're like, man, I just really like these people. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're it- lucky. Production in this world is such an eclectic group and everybody goes into it for all these different reasons. Yeah. You get to meet just such unique and interesting people. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing, too, where it's like I do think that being on a set, working with people that you want to have a beer with or you want yeah. to, you know, see a movie with or go to a show with. Yeah. Just in general makes the entire experience better. Yeah. You know? and, and then on top of that. They're so talented that you're able to trust that what they're going to do makes your work yeah. better. Yeah. It's also, it's just like all of that leads to something that is, like you're saying, the experience. Yeah. You know? And the, you know, a final piece of film or whatever mm-hmm. that, that, you know, the, the end, you know, mm-hmm. production is. Yeah. Is also something that you walk away with. And, and I do think that when it's at its best, that translates. Mm-hmm. This was really fun. Yeah. Cool. I think yeah. this is the first one where we like just dove into just movies. Yeah. I know. Like, which is awesome. Yeah. Like, I think that's great. It's yeah. a great reminder of uh, why we all got started into this right. and yeah, what keeps us going. I think yeah. that's awesome. Thanks. Of Thank course. you. Thank you. Yay. Thanks for asking me to do it. Yeah. I was absolutely. like, oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you had that reaction. Because <laughs> well, there are some people that just freak out. Well, when I first sat in here and this was like right there, I was like, Okay. My stomach feels nervous. <laughs> like, like, like I felt, I felt a little nervous. I know. I mean, um, it's weird to talk about yourself. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you to Winnie Wong for being on the episode, the uh, show, the show. <laughs> uh, and now here's our epilogue. Thanks. Bye. The film Brazil was a really mm. influential oh film gosh. in my life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and it was, that, that was the film for me where I, I, I finally understand. I saw it when I was like 14, but I finally understood what a director was capable of. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's like what's, what can come out of somebody's brain that can then turn into a completed thing that, that I can see. Right. Um, but it was actually the very beginning of French press where... Uh, Roman and Chris were both working, uh, had a day job, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I was doing freelance, so I was kind of like the first semi-full-time person, mm-hmm. and then Chris was sort of part-time. The two of us were, like, really spending the most time doing this. Yeah. And there's one one night that we were editing where I mentioned Brazil, and Chris was like, I've, I've never seen Brazil. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So I grabbed the DVD, put it in, yep. and we just watched it. Yeah. And at the end of that film... Chris was just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And that week quit and became full-time for French press. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. Yeah. And I think that's, and that's the, I mean, ultimately I think that is what, what it is. You know, it's like the, the, the idea that you can make something that can change a person's life.